Please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We are working our way through this book of Philippians. And it's a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Philippi, a church that he had helped start. Uh, You can read about it in Acts 16, I think, where you see his initial ministry in, in the city of Philippi. And they know something about Paul, that he's been captured, that he's in prison, that he is quite literally chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Now, to get just some feel for how this letter would have come to them, uh, a lot of you know a a previous pastor here, Bob Swanabek. So just imagine Bob uh, has gone on a short-term mission trip to some country, and we hear that he's arrested there in prison for preaching the gospel. And we were to get a letter back from him, uh, and we would see it and begin to read it. And of course, one of the things we would ask is, is, how's he doing? What's he say? That's what the Philippian church is thinking as they're beginning to open this letter. How is our beloved Paul? And uh, the way he describes himself, as he says, I have joy. I have great joy. I have an inexhaustible, unbreakable joy. Though I am in prison, the chains can't take it away. So that's good news. We want to ask ourselves, is that joy just for Paul? Or is it for all who follow Jesus? And if it is, how do we receive it? How do we get to that kind of joy? That's what we're studying and reading about in the book of Philippians. Before we begin reading, we'll we'll start in verse 18, about halfway through it where we stopped last week. But let's pray and ask for God's blessing on His Word. Father in Heaven, when we come to Your Word, we ask You for help to understand it, to receive it, to apply it. We ask for you to give us eyes and ears and a heart that's full of faith. Most of all, we pray that you would help us see our great Savior. To see Jesus in these passages and to know him better, for he is altogether lovely. And we want to be filled with his life. Would you work in your church and and cause us to see Christ and become more and more like him? Because of the few minutes we spend in your word today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to read Philippians 1, verse 18, but we're halfway through 18. So, toward the end of that verse. This is God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is God's word. It is completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. I came across an article this week by a pastor who described his own experience of coming to know the Lord. He was uh, an early teenager, and he was dealing with virtually daily panic attacks, deep depression, and suicidal thoughts. And as he was dealing with all of that going on in his head, he was introduced to Jesus and went to trust Him, began to profess his faith in Christ and uh, to receive Him. And he was assured that as he trusted in Christ, those uh, mental demons would go away. And he said they did for about six months. Here's what he says after that. 
But slowly, as the new Christian buzz wore off, my struggles began to re-emerge. I would suffer regular panic attacks almost every day and would experience severe bouts of depression. When this began to happen, I was sure I was doing something wrong. Jesus was, after all, the Prince of Peace. I was told that if I would just cast my anxieties at the foot of the cross, then I would be released from the burdens that weighed so heavily on me. I so desperately wanted the formula that I'd been taught to work. Read my Bible, pray every day, and go to church and all will be well. But the problem was nothing I was doing was working. In fact, it was causing me more anxiety and depression. I hung crosses around my room, only, only listened to Christian music, and would never lay down in bed to sleep unless I'd spent time reading my Bible. When nothing worked, I began to suppress and hide my struggle. I was, after all, one of the leaders in my youth group. I wanted to be a pastor. I had to have it all together. The burden you can feel stayed with him for years as he struggled with panic attacks and depression. And, uh, and when he was in college, he came to a physician who prescribed Zoloft. It's an antidepressant. And he said it worked. But I felt like a second-class citizen in the church. Here I was reading and studying and doing all I was supposed to do, and it wasn't working, and the medicine seemed to work. But I still felt like something's wrong. And then he said, you know what I think is wrong were my expectations. Here's his words. Jesus isn't going to take my Zoloft. He's not going to take it away. He's not going to take away the need. Now he says, listen, I understand God may heal. And if he does, great. But sometimes it may be that God isn't interested in healing us. Perhaps what he is really interested in is that we would learn to rely on him, learn to love him and other people in the midst of our brokenness. That as Christ's love on the cross was amplified through suffering, so might ours. What God might be most delighted in is our learning to rely and trust in him. And I think that's right. I think he's hidden on something there. And, and Paul is addressing it here. He's in the midst of prison, chained to a Roman guard, and his joy doesn't go away. It survives that prison and the suffering that's going on for him. His joy is bigger than that because he had an expectation about what Christianity really is that was right. And nothing kills joy faster than disappointed expectations. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is I get to do pre-marriage counseling. Talking with couples on the prospective marriage. And I want them to know marriage is beautiful and great, but you're marrying a sinner. And you're going to need to have some skill to be able to make a marriage go. And so we talk about those things. To have good expectations about what marriage is supposed to be. Because the fairy tales don't really tell the whole story. In this passage, Paul is telling you that if your anticipation of the gospel, of knowing Christ, is that that will make life smooth, you've missed the promise. The promise isn't that you know God will love you and, and He's strong and powerful, so He'll smooth out the rest of your life and make it nice and easy. The promise is that you will come to know Jesus. You will come to know the One who bore a cross, who was known as a man of sorrows, you will come to know him and you will find it worth it. That there is a joy in knowing Christ that can't be defeated. So I want you to see that. The first thing that we see is that God does promise you deliverance. 
hoping this will go away, probably next week. I'm going to try to turn it off and talk loud. If you're in the back and you can't hear me, kind of give me the symbol. Paul says God will deliver you. But his deliverance is not promising to be delivering you from the, the difficult circumstances you're in. Look, look what he says. Verse 19, for I know the reason I rejoice is I know something. I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. And on its surface, what you would think is, I know I'm going to get out of prison. But look what he says next. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with a full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That sounds good. My body getting out of prison. That's not what he says. Christ will be honored in my body, whether it is because I live. If I go face Caesar and he says, you're a Roman citizen, you're free, and I get set free. Or if I go face Caesar and he says, you can't preach that stuff in my empire, kill him. Either way, Christ is honored. If the end of this I live, I'm delivered from prison. If at the end of this I die, I am delivered to Jesus. And I don't care which. That's Paul's heart. He says, I'm going to get delivered. What I'm getting delivered from is not delivered from prison necessarily. I'm being delivered from myself. My selfish ambitions. I'm getting delivered from trying to seek my own honor. I'm being delivered to caring about Christ's honor more than anything else. If I live, then I will honor Christ. And if I die, I will honor Christ. That's the deliverance that God promises. He does not promise you. He will deliver you from illness, from economic distress, from emotional pain, from bad relationships. He promises you that you'll be delivered from those things consuming your life. So that in the midst of those pains and sufferings, you find something to cling to, to hold on to, so that in the midst of emotional distress, you know Christ can be honored in your body. So in the midst of relational pain and being hurt by others, you can say, but Christ can be honored in this, how I respond, how I commit, how I receive grace, how I am enduring. In the midst of my financial turmoil, in the midst of my lost job, Christ can be honored because He will support me and I will come to know Him. That's what God promises. He promises you will know Christ and it will be richer and fuller than what you might think you want, which is, I want a life free from economic problems or from illness, from emotional pain, from bad relationships. I want a, a life free from those afflictions. And we do. But God says, you probably want something you don't know more than that. You want to know Jesus. You want to know me, and you don't even realize it. So I'm going to give you what you really want, not what you say you want, not what you think you want. Look what Paul says. He goes, I'm getting delivered no matter how this works out. And so I've got great joy that can't be touched by the circumstances I'm in. And, and part of me says, well, you know, if I'm still going to have financial, relational, physical, social, emotional, intellectual, and maybe even spiritual problems, what good is it to follow Jesus? His answer is, here it is. 
Here's what's good. Jesus is better than my freedom. I would rather have prison and these chains and come to know Jesus than be free. He says, you know what? Jesus is better than my life. Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is to know Christ, to live out Christ, to have Him living through me, ministering to others, He's going to say. You know, if I stay here, it will mean fruitful ministry to you. Jesus will use me to build you up. For me to live is Christ. And to die is it's game. It's better than life. I will get closer to Jesus. I will get more of Him. It is better than life. That is remarkable. We have this game that we play at our house, especially when we go to restaurants. We sit around the table waiting for the food. The first question is, Dad, can I have your phone? The second thing we do is, well, let's play Would You Rather. Would You Rather. Would you rather, uh, would you rather be bald or toothless? You know those kinds of things. Would you rather have millions of dollars or be famous but not have millions of dollars? You know when we talk about those things, it's fun. Paul says, "Would you rather be free or know Jesus better?" He says, "If I can know Jesus an ounce better, give me give me chains." Would you rather live or? Get near Jesus. Here's what he says. In verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, between living and dying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If you give me the choice between life and being near Jesus, I choose Jesus. It's what I'd rather and Paul is telling you, with his life, with his words, with everything that he has, you might say, if I had to choose between knowing Jesus better and my illness, I would choose being free from my illness. But Paul says, no, take the illness and know Jesus better. I would rather have a really pleasant family life. Or would you rather have some difficulty in your home, but through it know Jesus better. That's what Paul is saying. Regardless of what you would experience in this life, he's going to deliver you into knowing Christ better through it. Now, I say that living a pretty comfortable life. So I'm really dependent on Paul here who knew something about an uncomfortable life. Paul at the time he writes this, chained to Roman guards, not free to go where he wanted. Paul had been beaten and left for dead and stoned outside of cities. He'd been imprisoned on more than one occasion. He'd been left in prison with his wounds of being beaten untended so that they would just heal with the ugly scars. He bore literally on the on his body all the marks of his suffering. He says, yeah, but I got Jesus. Who cares? Hear his words. Could you believe that? How do I get there? Because I've, I've thought about my prayer life 
And if my prayer life is any indication, I want my air conditioning to work. I, I want things to go smoothly. How do I get from here to that joy that Paul has of knowing Christ through every circumstance? Here's what he says. For I know that through your prayers, he says, I got people praying for me. You Philippian churches, you pray for me. I'm being made to where I find the joy in Christ. Paul says, this joy didn't come naturally to me. He's not a superhero. He's not some, you know, massive, muscular Christian who has some kind of supernatural, you know, beyond human gifts. He needs prayer just like you and I do. Let us pray for each other that we would find our delight in Jesus over anything else. And he says, and I get the help of the Spirit of Christ. As I go through this, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance because the Spirit of Christ is at work and He's stronger than my sinful heart. He is stronger than my desire for comforts and the safe life. I trust the Spirit to work. And then he has this last thing. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope. I have this powerful hope. I know what I've been promised is that I'm going to get to know Jesus. I'm going to see him with my eyes. I'm going to be with him. And that hope keeps me going. I know that when I see him, Paul wrote this in Romans, that the glory that I'll share with him won't be worth comparing to the suffering I've gone through in this life. And that is saying something because Paul suffered in ways that I don't. And he said, no matter how much I've suffered, the glory that's coming, the hope I have is so much bigger. I can't even speak about him in the same sentence. This hope keeps me going. One day I'm going to look at these chains that hurt now. And he hurt. Don't, don't get it wrong. He's not this Pollyanna, oh, everything's fine. Oh, I'm chained. No big deal. He hurt. He suffered. He called on people for help. He said, I'm cold. I need a coat. He hurt. People wounded him. But he says, I know that the pain I'm feeling now, I'll look back on it when I see Jesus and go, oh, that was worth it. That was worth it. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, we have this great cloud of witnesses who by faith have begun to receive some of the promises. They've gotten to Jesus. Now listen to their testimony. I don't know if you've ever run a race. There is nothing quite like running a race. You don't have to be good. Run a 5K race. Or walk it. It doesn't matter. Just get to it. And as you come into the end, here are all these people who are standing around the end cheering you on. And you're like, I'm, you know, in the I'm bottom 20% here. Yeah, you know, the ones who finish the race say it's worth it. Finish. It's a great experience. Hear Paul say, I've run this race and I'm telling you it's worth it. A few weeks ago, there was a, an article by a man who's uh, a Christian studying to be a Ph.D. and wants to teach uh, in a seminary or be able to teach Christianity to people. And uh, he's blind. 
And he said this, a hypothetical situation. Countless times someone has said to me, you'll be able to see in heaven. And this is likely true, but I want to explore another possibility. Suppose in heaven, some of us are left with our disabilities or deformities we were born with or acquired during the earthly pilgrimage. Heresy. Wait, stay with me. When Jesus rose from the dead with his new resurrection body, he continued to bear the marks of his humiliation. Far from placing Jesus in a contemptible situation, the marks in his hands and side were evidence he, he offered to Thomas that it had been he and no other that had risen from the dead. To inhabit a resurrection body that contained brutal reminders of his shameful death on the cross made it possible for Jesus to condescend to his heartbroken and heartbroken and doubting disciples in a fresh way. He could not have had he inhabited a body free from any uh, taint or contact, a contact with shame and death. Now, he's saying, hold on for a second, I'm a blind guy, and I anticipate the day when in heaven I'm going to be able to see. But what if? What if God freely chose to allow some of his creatures to bear with their disabilities into eternity if in fact those disabilities and deformities were the instruments of bringing about greater goods in their life? Put another way, if those who are called to endure the disabilities do so and come to see their lives as complete in spite of their physical losses, would the restoration of their physical losses make heaven better? Or would it be otherwise? Now I want you to hear what he's saying. He says, I think there's going to be no pain in heaven. He talks about how Jesus healed people who were blind or lame. It was a picture of, of his messiahship and of his healing and of his conquering the curse. He says, I think I'll be able to see in heaven. But I want you to know that if I were to get to heaven and still be blind, if God says that blindness helps me know Jesus and I will be blind forever. I want you to hear, this isn't the apostle. This isn't the super Christian. This is a guy like you and me who's been blind since he was born. And he says, yeah, but I get to know Jesus. There's a joy that is for all of you who trust in Jesus. No blindness, no pain, no affliction, can overwhelm it because through it you will get Jesus. Let's pray. Father, half of this sermon makes me thrilled and excited and half of it terrifies me because I know a good part of me would choose to be comfortable and not know Jesus. At least not know Him better. This is enough. But as I hear Paul and as I hear this dear brother who is blind, a part of me wants to sing, give me Jesus at any cost. And as we come to this table in a moment, fill our hearts with thanksgiving because you have given us Jesus. We receive Him and we ask you to make us more and more and more delighted in him for Christ's sake. Amen. Would you respond to God's word by taking your hymnals and turning to hymn 251? The hymn.